Welcome to the Soil and Roots podcast, journeying together into deep discipleship. I'm Brian Fisher. And I'm Kyle Moody. This is episode 75. We are in the greenhouse again, and we are talking about episode 74, which was called Thy Kingdom Come? Come? Question mark? Yeah. Do we really want the kingdom? Mm. The question that we posed in episode 74 is a hard one. Very. A little introspective. Yep. I spent quite a bit of time searching my own heart, trying to answer it, and came up with, you know, an unsatisfying answer, <laughs> which is sometimes I want the kingdom to come, and sometimes I don't. Yep. And confessionally, I've had to work through that in my own journey, you know, this journey into deep discipleship, this journey of spiritual formation, thank heavens, is a lifelong process, and we don't yeah. have to expect to have it all, you know, nailed down next no. week, but no. I sort of came to the conclusion I am perfectly happy with the benefits of the kingdom, mm -hmm. with racial reconciliation, family healing, institutional reformation, uh, you know, uh, uh, the proper role of humans stewarding and ruling creation. Those things are all good. Mm -hmm. And yet, as I survey, at least in my own little world, how the kingdom normally comes, it usually comes at a cost. Mm -hmm. And that cost is not something I'm always loving, you know, to bear. So it was an interesting episode. We broke it down into three parts. We had the introduction. Then we talked about Jesus as king. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. He's the new everything, right? Mm -hmm. So what impact does that have on our thinking? And then, you know, I asked the question, do we really want it? Mm -hmm. So do you really want it, Kyle? Oh, man. Well, I... That it's very similar to what you were saying. Like when I, when I read the episode, cause I was telling you off air that for some reason I couldn't get the audio to work. So I was, I read the blog and man, that was extremely convicting and, and not in a bad way, but just do I really want it? And it, that's a question that I've wrestled with before, before you started this, but it, it brought it to the forefront of my mind again. And yeah, I mean, when it's convenient, absolutely. I want it. Yeah. But then when the stuff hits the fan. It's, it's hard. But then at the same time, I started thinking about all the benefits that come from after that, like after the struggle, after the, after the hard, after the, whatever the, the difficulty that happened. I mean, it's, there's this moment of intimacy and this moment of sweetness uh, that we have after we've gone through that hard struggle or after that difficult season or whatever. Hopefully we even have that in the difficult season. Right. Well, yeah. That well, see been that, my experience. Yeah. That, that's another whole other realm. Like how can you achieve that in the midst of the mire yeah. and the muck? That's, that, stage, that's stage six. That's well, yeah. Which pretty advanced. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that, but stage six is still a big, huge mystery to me. So let's just jump right into that Willard quote, which <laughs> <laughs> Was, yeah, okay. So let's just, here, so here it is. So the quote was, the planet Earth and its immediate surroundings seem to be the only place in creation where God permits his will not to be done. It's one of those quotes where you stop and you say, that's not right. Right. And then after a while, you're like, oh, 
Well, it's right if I pray the Lord's Prayer, because uh-huh. the Lord's Prayer says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which assumes that his earthly will is not always done. Mm-hmm. So, but see, right there, just thinking about that, I don't. I think so few of us do that, because it's 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 so rote, right? Like, thy kingdom come, thy right. will be done. Or not. We don't take the time to go, wait a minute, let's look at this. That's why this is so great. Yeah. Yeah, it means that the kingdom is not fully here, and his will is not fully done. Right. Um, you know, theologians tend to parse this. There's there's the idea that there's sort of two, at least two tiers to God's will. Uh-huh. There's his his perfect will, which is sort of the idea of Eden or the new heaven, new earth. Right. And then, then there's the will where we have the ability to screw things up. Right. <laughs> and so I think the idea is that God does, in fact, and has permitted us to exercise our own will, mm-hmm. even when it conflicts with what he would rather we do. Right. Because that's dignity. That's that's choice in that sense. That's uh, allowing us to exercise the decision to either enter his kingdom or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, you know, that opens up all kinds of theological worms, which we won't go into. But at the end of the day... I think what Willard is saying is when we're praying for the kingdom to come, we are praying for heaven to come increasingly to earth mm-hmm. and heaven being the place where God's will is done uniformly all the time. And so Christ, by coming to earth and and living the perfect life, dying on the cross, resurrecting, ascending, is the inception, the reversal of human history where now God's will is increasingly being done here. The kingdom is coming. Heaven is coming to earth primarily through us. And we should be praying earnestly that we continue to be agents, you know, of that work. But it is weird to say, well, I mean, isn't God sovereign? Like, what do you mean? His will is not being done. There's a lot of mystery to it, but I I think we can just turn on the news and realize that God's will isn't being done. From a Soil and Roots vernacular, we've claimed that at the bedrock of our hearts, there sit at least two things, our ideas, mm-hmm. our hidden assumptions, unconscious principles about how we're supposed to live and what reality is, plus our desires, what mm-hmm. we truly want, what we love. And those words aren't always synonyms, but I tend to use them as synonyms. Um, and right now, we may desire things that aren't of the kingdom. Right. Uh, somebody who isn't in Christ is going to desire things that aren't of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Somebody who is in Christ is going to feel that tension. Sure. Sometimes we're going to desire the things of the kingdom and sometimes not. But the difference between the Garden of Eden and the new heaven, the new earth, is that Adam and Eve had the freedom mm-hmm. to choose evil, right? They had the right. tree of the knowledge of good and evil mm-hmm. there. Right. But if you read Revelation 21 22, that tree doesn't show up. Right. So the tree of life, which is in the Garden of Eden, does show up. Mm-hmm. in the New Jerusalem, but not the tree of knowledge of good and evil, meaning we will no longer, theologians would say, we will no longer have the ability to sin. We will be right. unable to sin. Sin has been defeated. It has been wiped out. Death has been finally conquered. So the struggle that we feel will be gone, unlike the Garden of Eden where we had that choice, We will. It, there will be no reason for us to even contemplate choosing it. Mm. Man. That's and that's a, what we yearn for that. Yeah. And it's, it's for me, it's impossible to really, it's, I, I can't, I can't imagine it. I just can hope for it. If that makes right. sense. Well, sure. It's yeah. hard to actually try to well, imagine a minute where I'm not 
confronted or tempted or, right. or or faced with ideas of darkness. But that is the that is our final destination. Oh yeah, and just to have that burden lifted and yeah. to have that removed. Let's go. Oh man. Whew. Let's go. But the idea <laughs> of the kingdom is that that has already started. Right. That that process, we, that, yeah, that we get a taste re- of that. redemption of creation has already begun. And mm-hmm. as we grow in Christ, as we become more, I was going to say more deeper, as we become deeper disciples, right. we live out more of that eternal kingdom life and mm-hmm. spread it. Yeah, because it's it, it goes back to what you said before about we're not sinless, but we sin less. Right. And it's just that progression of getting to the place where sin is not as pervasive as it was before. And I'm talking about an in individual life. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't want to minimize sin, but no. we talk about sin ad nauseum in modern Christianity. It's more than that. It is it is manifesting the ideas of the kingdom of light. Mm-hmm. So it's more than just not sinning. It it's is, exhibiting these other qualities. It is being those other qualities. Right. If Jesus is the embodiment of ideas of light, and He now lives in us, mm-hmm. and we are intentional about becoming deep disciples, then we should be we should be more of the ideas of light. So right. I realize, you know, everything is sin, not sin. I'm not, you know, I'm going to get emails on this. I'm not trying to reduce what that means, but the forgiveness of sins is not only personal. We that's how we frame it, but there's a cosmic idea of that and we don't talk enough about the ideas of light mm-hmm. what is it what yeah. does human flourishing mean what does blessing mean what does um love and goodness and gentleness and the fruits of the spirit what do those things mean in the life of a christian who is kingdom minded right it's more than just oh i'm sinning less mm-hmm. it's actually i'm i am uh becoming more like jesus for the purpose of loving deeper better more sacrificially, and and causing human flourishing, yeah, in the way that God intended in the Garden of Eden. So I know we tend to frame things in terms of the negative. There's a lot of good positive stuff we should be talking about. Yeah, perhaps even more. But it's I think it's just a huge struggle because we're constantly bombarded with the negative. We're constantly bombarded with how horrible everything is, right. and how broken, and how sinful, and how lost. And it's hard to have that kingdom mindset. I think that's part of the fatalism that we've talked about, yeah. the pessimism. Yeah. But we're more than conquerors. Yeah. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. I mean, we can go verse by verse right. about how through Christ's cosmic redemption, we are ushered into a kingdom that already exists. Mm-hmm. Jesus is clear it's growing. Mm-hmm. It's cosmic in nature in terms of its redemption. So, you know, perhaps even as a church, we should spend a little bit more time <laughs> focused on the positive. Yeah, absolutely. Which comes at a cost. That's where it gets a little bit. Right. Yeah. All the way back to that cost thing again. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was the parallels that you drew from the Old Testament to the New Testament and writing all of those down. Um, how Jesus uh, oh, is the new Adam. Is the new Adam. Adam and, and, right. Yeah. And fulfilling every. I just, first of all, seeing that listed like that, because I, I, thought about things like that. Like I, we went to Branson and we saw the Esther story and that was, I mean, I immediately thought of Jesus. He's all over that too. And just the story of the Messiah and how it's paralleled with that. But then seeing all those, the things that you did that, I'm just curious, what prompted you to list all of those out like that? Well, so that's, uh, I'm not the first person to do that. And that's not my invention. But in the Bible is what it shows over and over again that Jesus is the new whatever, mm-hmm. the new creation, the new humanity, the new Noah, the new Adam, the new David, the new Abraham, 
the new Israel, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And the New Testament makes that profoundly clear. My reason for copying it from other sources is because I think in at least modern Christianity, we focus a lot on Jesus as Savior Mm -hmm. from my individual sins. And that's usually where the conversation stops. But the Bible presents him as the new everything. Yeah. I mean, he's the new creation. He is the inception of a new reality, a new cosmic reality. And he is king of that. So what I was attempting to pull from other sources was this concept of the the switch between the Old Testament and the New Testament is a really big deal. Yeah. We don't necessarily embrace that idea in modern Christianity, but he is the the introduction of an entire new way of living and an entire new way of existing. And he is now king of that. And it's a much broader concept than he died on the cross to save my sins. That's true. But again, even in that, there is the idea that sin is more than just my individual sin. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can actually make the argument that there are at least three manifestations of sin in the Bible. One is my individual sin, but then you have this idea of institutional sin. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul refers to the body of sin. What does that mean? In Mm -hmm. Romans 6, he says, sin is a body, like the body of Christ, the body of sin. Well, that's weird. What are we talking Mm -hmm. about? And then you have the supernatural realm. So you have at least three different perspectives of, well, did, did Christ come to resolve just my personal sin? Or did he come to conquer not only my personal sin, but institutional sin and the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting conversation. And it goes beyond just Jesus as my personal savior. So what I'm trying to basically paint the picture of is there's a reason why time got split in half when he came, right? Mm -hmm. BC and AD is because old covenant, new covenant, it's an entirely new reality. I'm not sure we always live as if that's real. I tend to think we, we, have a decent picture of Jesus as our savior. I think we'd be well served by meditating on him as the broader king of the cosmos. Why do you think we don't do that? Why do you think a lot uh, we're of people... not taught that? Well, right. It's the forgotten I, kingdom. Yeah. Cause I never, I never really thought about all of that until the last several years. Yeah. And it's so powerful and it's so true. And it's so, it makes my understanding and my, love and adoration of Jesus so much more grand Mm -hmm. and puts it into such a more correct perspective. And it's just a shame that we don't, we're not exposed to that more and we don't see that's not talked about more. Yeah. To me, the greatest irony of modern Christianity is that the number one theme of the new Testament is barely taught. Yeah. Hmm. It's Christianity one oh one. The first day that somebody becomes a Christian decides to enter the kingdom they should be discipled on what the kingdom actually is. Right. Well, and again, that's a perfect kind of segue into the next thing that I wanted to talk about, because in the episode, you said if you polled 10 people yeah. and asked them what the kingdom was, you'd probably get all kinds of different Ten responses. Different, yeah, yeah. I actually did that. No way. Yes, I did. So <laughs> How did you do that? I, I texted a bunch of people that I know. No and kidding. Yes. And they're all very dear, sweet, loving Christian people. Own- survey i did because i was i was really curious to see well what what would people say and so i got all kinds of responses really are you ready yeah okay what a great idea so the first and again let me preface this by saying these are everybody that responded to me i know has a relationship with jesus okay 
but here are the different here are the different responses. So you asked the question, got. what is I the just, kingdom? I honestly said I was like, look, hey, I'm going to be doing a podcast this weekend and uh it uh, the theme of it is what is the kingdom and or the kingdom of God. And so I said, if I just asked you, what is the kingdom? What would you say? That Nothing. was it. Perfect. Oh, that's right. great. All right, what so, did they say? Okay, so the first one first response I got uh she said that she actually saw this in a vision. She saw what the kingdom of God was in a vision. Oh, good grief. And uh, she said, it's absolutely perfect, wonderful, peaceful, fluid environment. Everything is willfully expressing itself. We can't see it or would be, or we would be overwhelmed by it. He releases it over time. When we get our glorified bodies, we'll be able to fully comprehend it. It's a thought process. It's a goal. It's an inheritance. So that so was it's one. more of a heaven image. Right. That okay. was one. And it's invisible. It's the more spiritual, not right. physical. Okay. Right. Okay, next one, the people, character, and the plan of God. That's what they described as the people, kingdom. Character, the people, character, and the plan, plan of God. Okay. Okay. Next one, and again, this is from a friend of mine who is kind of snarky, but he said, besides an Orlando Bloom movie or Saudi Arabia, it's God's <laughs> rule over heaven and earth. Okay. And then he quoted Matthew twenty-eight eighteen: all authority in heaven and on earth. Our job is to make the invisible kingdom visible. And then he, that's a John Calvin quote. So he that's that was his explanation right. of what is the kingdom. So he, we would resonate with that one pretty closely. Right. Yeah. That's like David, uh, not David, uh, Jeremy treats God's reign through God's people, people over, over God's, God's place. place. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Next one. <laughs> I appreciate the snarkiness. Yeah, me too. The next one uh, represents Jesus's lordship and sovereignty over the earth. But more specifically, it represents his way of doing things. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Next one was just heaven. Okay. A place of jo- love, joy, and peace. Yeah, you know what? The, you said that yeah. last episode. I had never pictured the kingdom as heaven, and I'm realizing, really? yeah, that's really popular. Oh yeah, because really again, popular. it's it's the place, and again, it, they went on to say a place of love, joy, and peace far beyond what our human brains can compute. So that's so all it's, eternal. It's eternal, right? It's, it's, it's this it's nirvana. The next phase. There's nothing this here, right? Oasis, now. right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yep. Um, again, the next one: a place of perfect harmony where God will be worshipped forever. Heaven. Yep. Yep. Again, then one person just said heaven. That was it. Just that. The, That's no the explanation. most popular answer that was right it, now. Right? Yeah, so far the last three. This yep. is fascinating. Mm-hmm. The next one, abiding by his rules and regulations, doing life his way, not ours. I've heard it explained as an upside down kingdom. So that's more of the so that's more of the chat GPT answer, which is the kingdom is present in the hearts of believers and it's spiritual. Right. It's obedience. So yeah, that's sort of the which I think is a reduced definition, but that's that's mm-hmm. kind of where she's going there. Right. Okay. And then again, this this is the last one. This is another one that I got. Uh, I believe the kingdom of heaven is both a destination and a spiritual state of mind. Upon the end of life, one who believes Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Lord of their life will join our Father God, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, along with all of the other believers in heaven. There they will exist in spirit form and all eternity in the presence of God. Until that time of transition, a believer can enjoy an earthly vision, version, sorry, version of heaven by holding the kingdom in their hearts, minds, and spirits. This happens once Christ is accepted as one's Lord and Savior. A kingdom worldview combined with daily prayer, scripture study, and consistent trust in God's plan for one's life can allow for an incredible dynamic relationship with Jesus. This relationship and a kingdom worldview will by now will by no means keep one from the troubles of this world, but it will allow one to go through such troubles hand in hand with Jesus, who always turns tragedy into victory and gives joy for ashes. It's like a, it's like a whole book. 
Yeah. So again, but their concept of heaven mm-hmm. is that ethereal plane where we right. kind of float in the air, which is harps. exactly what I thought. Yeah. I mean, when you, I mean, I've told you this yeah, yeah. when you told me what 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 is heaven that's or what is the kingdom that was my thought. Oh, that's, I'm really glad you did it. So these are all Protestant. I'm assuming yep. some of strains of Protestant mm-hmm. believers. Yep. And I'm hearing at least three or four very distinct. We have heaven. Mm-hmm. We have uh, the kingdom as a sort of spiritual, obedient reality. It's invisible, not mm-hmm. not physical. Mm-hmm. We have kind of the Jeremy Treat one, which we're resonating with here. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we have the idea that um, it's it's more about our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Or, it, yeah, it can affect your lifestyle or affects how you live on earth. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm telling you. See what I'm saying? Like, if we can't, those are right. very different answers. Very, yeah. And they have radical implications for how we live out our lives. Mm-hmm. And your straw poll would indicate that uh, the confusion is real. Yeah, absolutely. Because you get those four or five different representations in a room, and you're going to have a lot of, you have some interesting conversations. Well, see, that, and that's the whole point, right? I mean, that that to me is just such a beautiful thing to get. I would love to get people that have these different perspectives and have these different ideas into a room and just talk. And just see, like, let's flesh this out. Let's let's dig into this. Like, why do you think this way? How long have you thought this way? And then at the end of it, I mean, are you still thinking the same way? Is to, did something that somebody else say maybe change your mind? Or did the Holy Spirit kind of prompt you to think, oh, well, maybe this is different. I just, it's just so fascinating to see how all of these people who are chasing after Jesus. Right. There's no question about that. No question. Everybody, every single person that I that I asked, I know is chasing after Jesus. But we all have these different ideas of what the end goal is and what the end game is or what his final, what our final place is like. And that's so, it's just so interesting that we, and and again, you could make the argument that there is an overlying sense of love, peace, joy, and all of this. But at the same time, like you're saying, these little subtle differences absolutely affects how we live out our daily discipleship, how we live out our daily lives. Yeah, I don't I don't think they're subtle at all. I mean, you have your one friend, you know, describes the kingdom as heaven mm-hmm. and and says we're going to be spirits. Like that person has no concept of the resurrection. The the final resurrection where we are endowed with bodies and we are living on the earth. Like there's right. no vision for that as the final And maybe they maybe the they kingdom. do have that. They just didn't include it in the their response to what is heaven or I'm sorry, what is the kingdom? Yeah. So, but yeah, it's just uh, very interesting. Yeah. But this is, we're getting to the crux of my, my concern, which is we haven't figured out in a consensus what the primary theme of the new Testament is about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, and if we can't agree on that, what this would rep, this probably explains a lot of the confusion that people around us are experiencing when they talk to a Christian. Now, do you think that's even possible? Do you think that it's it's possible do, for all of us Christians to find a consensus? Do Christians agree on who Jesus is? Do most Christians following Jesus believe that he came to save the world from sin? Yes. Okay, so there you go. Yes, you can get consensus on the kingdom. But do you think... Well, that seems like that's that concept is a little easier to grasp than the concept of the kingdom. There is more available insight into what the kingdom is through the parables, through the book of Acts, through the writings of Paul. Right even into Revelation, than just about any other topic. So I'm saying that has a radical impact on how we actually live and operate in the world. And so if we all can come to a consensus on who Jesus is, and that he saved us from our sins, and yet his primary message was the kingdom, are we all going to sit around and be okay not agreeing on that? Mm. 
But then why aren't we seeing that in churches? Well, I mean, that's the question I raised last episode. And my concern is that one of the primary reasons that we've forgotten is because we want to. Mm. And that's the question I've had to ask myself. Mm. Am I not proclaiming the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, because it's a lot harder and involves a lot more than the gospel of salvation? And just, yeah. The gospel of salvation in our era, you say a prayer, say yes to Jesus, whatever, however you want to be converted. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we move on from our conventions and our conferences and our Sunday morning worship, worship services. The gospel, the kingdom, that's a lot of work. Yeah. And it's internal work and it's external work. question there you go which is the uh stage six the life of love right people at stage six give more than they can afford in fact they give all they have without any sense that giving is in any way a sacrifice yeah okay so i i read i read that and i thought about it (laughs) and uh i'll be honest with you michelle and you know this but michelle and i are in a very challenging season right now financially yeah and uh, I hear that about being in the life of love and being sacrificial and not even thinking about it. I, I really struggle with, is that even realistic? And then there's another part of me that's like, well, I think people that say that have money <laughs> or they have resources that they're not really. And again, that's ridiculously presumptive on my part, but I'm just being honest. I'm just telling you that it, that, that idea, that concept of, giving where it's just, and again, I'm only focused on financial, right? There's so many other, so many other ways you can give. I can't even wrap my head around that because of the season that we're in right now. It's so challenging just to meet the things that we need to do and to be able to get to that place. And then, and then the other one was, well, if, if you're giving without any sense that giving is a sacrifice or you give all of it is, I mean, wouldn't you be homeless? I mean, you're just, you're, if you just give everything away, and you're not concerned with, well, I have bills to pay. And I, and I know that there's all these facets, but I'm just being honest with you. I'm just telling yeah. you, like, when I read that, I obviously, I, I want to be in stage, I want to get to stage six or, or strive to be in that place, that or area, that mindset. And that's just a real struggle for me to even wrap my head around. Well, so let's back up and just give some context. So several times throughout the podcast journey, I've quoted from a book called The Critical Journey. Yeah, it's a it's not the be all end all. I I'm I use it because it's just easy for me to understand. So the book is very open minded in terms of saying, hey, look, we're just setting out a way to think about the spiritual journey. Sure. There's other people that have proposed three stages, six stages, ten stages. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to pick one yeah. that gives us some sort of frame of reference, and I think they're on to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not that it's a linear journey and we're always moving from stage to stage. I mean, life is complicated. What they're basically saying is, in general, we can break down our spiritual formation into these six phases. Being introduced to God, learning about God, serving God. That's where the modern Christian experience, Christian experience normally stops. But then we have the, four, the three kind of deeper phases that result in this abundant life, the mm-hmm. life of peace, the life of sacrificial love and giving the life of extraordinary doing extraordinary things for God 
Stage four, the journey inward, mm-hmm. introspection. Journey Stage five, the journey outward. We begin to become accustomed to constantly serving, and that naturally moves into to, uh, phase six. And the reason that I was restating the description of stage six is because it is, it's just radical. Mm-hmm. I read it this, I mean, I've read it, I don't know how many times, and every time I read it, I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. I mean, Mother Teresa, yeah. George Mueller, got it. Mm-hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, probably. Mm-hmm. Me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, here's where I think we have to be careful. I used money as an example because everybody understands money. Right. Radical generosity is a characteristic of a stage six mature disciple. Sure. They express and give liberally. That doesn't necessarily mean financial. Right. We have to we have to balance that with what is it, first Timothy four, I guess. You know, whoever doesn't feed his family they sh- they're considered worse than an unbeliever. Sure. There's 2000 passages in the Bible that mention money and many right. of them are about how to steward it. Right. So it's not that the book or even scripture expects every single person who's growing in Christ to sell their house and their cars and their toys and move to Africa to be a missionary. I, right. I don't think that's the point at all. What I'm trying to establish is kingdom living mm-hmm. is different than what we ideate about kingdom living. Right. And we're going to explore this as we move into the rest of the season. But when we when we talk about maturity in Christ, becoming more like him, mm-hmm. we're quick to kind of go to the fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those are great. It's a good, it's a good uh, descriptor until we actually move into what those things mean. Right. Because there is a selflessness. There is a contentment. There is a um, peace that is exemplified in people that we would kind of identify with stage six. Mm-hmm. That's just radical. Yeah. It's just different than the way that at least I normally run around and I'm, I'm a nice guy. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I do some nice things, yeah. but you know what? I place myself in a person who wants to do preposterous things for God and, you know, is, is ready to, to give up everything for him. Once in a while, some days, yeah. But I'm not gonna sit here and say that's me, you know, all the time. Have you ever met someone that you know of that you could say, "Oh yeah, they're in stage six? Uh, I've not, and I've said that before. I don't. I have not met somebody who I walk away saying, "Gosh, that person reminds me of Jesus." You know, I've not had that experience. I mean, that's not to say I've met wonder. I mean, I know some amazing Christian people. Yeah. I'm saying Jesus and his. You know, Paul, the disciples, when they walked around, like transformation just happened mm-hmm. because they just existed in reality differently than than I do. Mm-hmm. And I've not encountered somebody that has that I've walked away saying that's just a radically different person. But I read about them, mm-hmm. and the people that I just mentioned would probably be, you know, Mueller, Mother Teresa, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But it's typically folks who gave up the the normal things that you and I would find comfort in because they had a call on their life to go do that. Right. And my point is um my I wonder are there are is God knocking on more doors than what we see to do preposterous radical things for the kingdom 
and we've reduced the kingdom so that we don't have to. Right. And we're not really paying attention to that level because of fear, because of comfort, because of, you know, all the things that we struggle with and we're tied to. And those that knock on the door to do preposterous things might look very different from totally one person different. to the next. And, I, and it's, we can't take it as prescriptive. This is why your money right. question, it's a good question, but you know, if somebody's, if somebody's struggling financially, does that mean that God wants them to sell their house and move to Africa? Well, if God calls them to sell their house right. and move to Africa, great. But otherwise, um, the question would be, am, am I, first, am I obeying God with my finances? Right. Am I doing all the things that he's instructing me to do? Mm-hmm. And if I am, then well, what else is he teaching me through this struggle? Right. How can I be content in the midst of my struggle? Yeah. And honestly, that's what we're doing. I mean, Michelle and I are living that out. It's yeah. just every single day, because you talked about, you know, daily bread, staying in the pocket with him and staying focused on him and not being focused on the circumstances, not being focused on this cha- the challenges or the struggles but to be more focused on, okay, God, what are you, how are you working in this? And how are you shepherding us through this? And what are you doing? If they're got, well, if they're wealthy, great. If they're not, I mean, it's Paul. I'm, I've been, I've learned to be content in any circumstances, right. sickness or health, riches or poverty. Yeah. You know, he understood financial pressure mm-hmm. for sure. Sure. Uh, he learned the secret, learned over time. <laughs> it's a process of being content in any circumstance. So at stage six, Christian is somebody who, whether they're struggling financially or not, is content and at peace and relies on Christ for their daily bread and gets up every morning trusting at the very bedrock of their hearts that whatever happens that day is either caused or permitted by God and it's all good. And that's not to say that they're, that it's unemotional yeah, uh, or that they're, you know, I, we don't want to paint the picture of like some numb... no. I think a stage six feels deeply, but, uh, but it is somebody who is resting far more, at least than I rest and Mm -hmm. somebody who is at peace far more than I'm at peace in the daily routines of life because they have, they're so lost in God. They so trust him. It's Mm -hmm. the, it's the child, the childlike faith that, um, those circumstances are important. They need to be recognized. They, They can be worked on, but they're not defining. Yeah. I, well, honestly, I think I might be getting flashes of that. I think it's fantastic. I'm not sitting here wringing my hands and, you know, I, after, you know, I go home and I'm just up at night going, how in the world? I mean, I do. I did that for a long time, but I don't really, I don't have that. I have an incredible sense of peace and calm even. And like you said, there's still the tension there. There's still the um, wondering, like, how's this all going to shake out? Sure. But at the same time, Michelle and I both, we just have this incredible sense of peace and calm. And I, that's not for me. I'm You're not manufacturing that. Yeah. And it's, it's wonderful. It and is wonderful. I'm so appreciative of it because I, I've seen what the other side of that looks like. And next month you'll be in Africa. <laughs> oh, man. As we, as we move ahead, I, I had to ask this hard question of myself. The answer was unfortunate. You know, I confess that on the show there are days where i want the kingdom and there are days where i want to want the kingdom but i don't Mm -hmm. so it's probably more people's stories than just mine yeah but i think the point is that we god takes us where we are Mm -hmm. and he's moving us along he has to start the formative process he's the orchestrator of it but we participate in it Mm -hmm. we have to be intentionally involved in the process of becoming a deep disciple and that often involves, I, I've just, at least in my life, that often involves God gently stripping stuff away. Yeah. 
Yep. And it's hard and it's painful and it's frustrating sometimes. Mm -hmm. But usually when he is moving in my life or in my family, he's going to gently invite me to depend on him more mm-hmm. than what I was doing previously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the cost yep. that I'm not sure we're comfortable taking. Because, you know, let's just be uncomfortably blunt. Yeah. That if more and more professing Christians lived and loved and sacrificed and treated people like Jesus, I think the kingdom would be coming a lot faster. Well, how could it not? Well, but at the end of the day, we need to consider the great news. As much as we might be rightfully uh, identified as suppressing the kingdom Mm -hmm. because of the costs of the kingdom, uh, the good news is that, that God is eternally gentle and wow. kind and lavishes his love. He delights in us. He is pursuing us in every best sense of the word. And this is a lifelong journey. The The last thing we want, I want you or me or anyone else to come away with is, you know, feeling condemned because we may or may not have a clear understanding of the kingdom. And, and we may be recognizing that maybe we really don't want it to come. But recognizing that is a good first step. And then continuing to accept God's invitation into deeper formation is a really good way to view that understanding that that is typically a gentle, slow, uh, winsome process. uh, And it's a journey that he invites us to take. Mm -hmm. And so for all of my struggles in in writing and recording 74, I I did not come away saying, Oh my gosh, woe is me. I'm a terrible person. I came away saying, you know what? I know now I know. And, you know, this is going to be a subject of conversation and delight with me and Jesus. And I'm trusting that as he's forming me, I will participate in that process. And if God calls me to do preposterous things, um, I'll be ready to, to bear that cost. Understanding that whatever costs I think I'm giving up are dung anyway. Mm-hmm. They don't feel that way to me, but they are. And uh, that that we can delight in that in that process. Well, there's just such an incredible sweetness and grace and compassion when you're in that. I mean, I, and I'm living proof of it. I mean, there's been a lot of real of real real struggles recently, and I am not I am not filled with a sense of dread. I'm not filled with a sense of fear and anxiety where I was before. But the closer I get to Jesus, the more I feel His that incredible peace and love and joy. And it doesn't mean that everything disappears. It just means that I know that I'm walking with my dad. I'm walking with my pa and he's, he's, he's guiding me through this and he's loving me and he's showing me depths of myself that I never knew were there, but he always did. Yeah. And it's just such an incredibly beautiful thing. And depths and I, of himself. Yeah. And yeah. revealing himself in ways through Michelle and through my kids and through, I'm, you know, you and friends and I just, it's, it's a, it's an amazingly beautiful thing and it it's is. just so incredibly powerful and beautiful. It's a beautiful mess as the artist once said. Mm-hmm. Good episode. Thanks for being here today, Kyle. Oh, always a pleasure. Appreciate Love you. It. We had a lot of fun today. Yeah. Thanks for listening. For those of you either reading or listening, thanks for being a part of the Soil and Roots journey. If you're interested in greenhouses, these are these small communities that Soil and Roots helps to form and support where we explore these things together in person. 
uh, through some guided conversations. You can check out the website at soilandroots.org. If you'd like to make a donation to support our work of cultivating deep discipleship, you can do that at the same place with MasterCard, Visa, ACH, debit card, whatever works for you. We'd love to have your financial support and thanks in advance. If you'd like to join our email list, we send out an email about once a week on spiritual formation, deep discipleship, the three primary problems. That's also at the website. Yep. If you'd like to email us, you can do so at fish at soilandroots.org. And we will see you next time.